On this edition of the Iowa Business Report, 80% of small businesses that are for sale don't sell. Involving employees in the business succession plan is the topic of a workshop in Newton on May 11th. We'll have details. Iowa's congressional delegation had to work overtime to make sure ethanol subsidies were not cut in legislation to increase the debt ceiling. And in our business profile, we'll introduce you to the owner of a championship racing team focusing on dirt truck racing. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of April 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. You have heard us talk on this program over time with the professionals at Advance Iowa. Now you can hear from them in person at the first Employee Ownership Workshop to be held on Thursday, May 11 at the Des Moines Area Community College Center in Newton. The day-long event runs from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. and includes both keynote and facilitated sessions. Stacy Mullinex is a program manager for Advance Iowa and told me the event came about because of Advance Iowa's experience with businesses in the state. So we've been working with helping businesses transition from one owner to the next. And what we were finding that in the rural areas and the underserved populations, what was going on is some of those owners, they decide to move or, you know, retire or close their business. They had a hard time selling it, whether it be because that was the population they were in, but they just couldn't get it sold. In fact, I believe the stat is about 80% of small businesses that are for sale don't sell. They end up having to liquidate. And that's hard. That's, you know, owners have a lot of money invested into their business. You know, that's their retirement, if you will. And if you can't get it sold, that's a big deal. And not only does it affect the business owners, but the ramifications go on. It affects the employees that might be losing their jobs. It affects the community who might be losing a piece of quality of life. For example, what if it's the grocery store? You know, what if it's where you get your hair cut at? So what can we do to keep those businesses open after the owners are moving on to the next stage of their life? And one way for that to happen is to have the employees who are already invested into the community, into that business, maybe let's see what they'd be interested. You know, they already know the business. They know the function. How can we get them involved, you know, eventually take it over as a group? Because, yeah, it can cost some money to do that, but there's power in numbers. And there's lots of strategies out there that we can put together to help them not only afford to buy the business, but actually it's going to help the owner as well. When you think about it down the road, maybe there's going to be a contract. Maybe this will help them on their taxes. There's lots of different benefits that can be brought into this. It is difficult, no doubt, for an employee, no matter how key the employee is, no matter how long tenured they are, to all of a sudden become the owner, the boss. And that's why sometimes having a collection of people, three, four, five people who take over, they bring different things to the table, might actually make it have a greater chance of success as opposed to if any one of them or somebody from the outside just came in to buy out the current owners. 
Absolutely. We all can't be experts in everything. So that's the great part. And even if the existing employees feel like there might be a piece that they're missing, you know, let's say there's five of them and none of them are really strong with their finances. Well, guess what? You can hire that out. So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But overall, the important part of that is once we get the employees involved, you know, all of a sudden they're the owners. Rutgers University did a study on this and found out that there can be up to 14% productivity increased once the employees become the owners. So it's a revenue generator. So the idea of how to help businesses transition, that is nothing new. That is something Advance Iowa has done for a long time in various forms. The concept of bringing everyone together at one site in Newton, how did that come about? What's the benefit of doing that? So one of the biggest struggles that people may have with the concept of employee ownership is you think of a worker cooperative, right? So you think maybe it's an egg co-op. We're familiar with those. Maybe it's a telephone co-op, but actually it's something different. So we needed to bring awareness for everybody, not just employees and business owners, but also for the service providers. Let's let everybody know about that. So one thing that we thought that came to mind is to have a, a conference where everybody can come together and we can touch the basics. We can spread that awareness. We can give a basic education and basic knowledge. We'll have lots of experts there so they can go to the different presentations, the different breakout sessions. But at the same time, they can come up and talk to us one on one. We can do individual consultations after the fact, too. We're here to help. Maybe it won't be from us, but we definitely can connect them to the right resource to make sure that they get the information that they need. So this is called an employee ownership conference. Who should attend? Everybody. Like I said, employees, business owners, economic developers, if they're interested in bringing stability to their community, if they're struggling with something like that. ESOPs, it touches just about everybody out there. And that to me is an important point, Stacey, because when I see employee ownership conference, I'm immediately thinking about a certain business with one generation, maybe looking to the next generation. And obviously those are folks who should attend. But when you mention just local economic development folks, they need to have this backdrop and this understanding because they might have a situation dropped in their lap a week later, a month later, a year later that they don't anticipate, and they may even have the ability to be proactive. This is just another tool in the toolbox. Now, I'm not going to say that employee ownership is right for everybody in every situation because it's not, but it is another viable option that might work, that might keep that business open in the community. Lieutenant Governor Gregg will be delivering the keynote and the welcoming remarks, and he's been very involved in some of the economic development and the rural Iowa efforts. He has been very supportive of us, as well as Debbie Durham, the Iowa Economic Development Authority. We have key players across the state that have been so beneficial and supportive and helpful for us to move this uh, initiative forward. The format of the day will have the welcoming statements. Then you're going to do some networking, facilitated networking, and then there are also some breakout sessions. So take us through how the rest of the day will go after that welcoming. So we'll start off with a main stage presentation where everybody will be in the same room and we'll talk about the benefits and the highlights of employee ownership. After that, we'll do little breakout rooms 
for example, I'm going to do one on cooperative basics just for general knowledge to help people out. We'll also have one on ESOP. So we'll break that in half, you know, so kind of touch all the bases there. We'll get together for lunch. We'll have another facilitated networking. After that, we'll do another main stage presentation followed by a little bit more in-depth breakout sessions for everybody. Are there some goals by which you might measure success with this? Are there things that you're hoping to later look down the road and say, this was a good effort, it's worth doing again, et cetera? I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Jeff, but I grew up in a small little town called Bristol, Iowa. And I would love just personally to be able to look back and say, wow, we were able to help one business. Bristol it means everything to me, you know, as if everybody else, they all have a hometown that they would love to see thrive and just grow. And I think that everybody who comes from that area, whether it just be a population area, even a demographic area, if they can say, boy, we helped one business, that would be incredible to me. So hopefully we help a lot more than that, but to be able to reach out and help that one business would just be incredible. Well, as someone who grew up a little ways away from you in Toledo, Iowa, and I was there (laughs) not long ago and drove up and down Main Street and I could remember all of the businesses that had been there when I was growing up, how those buildings had transitioned. And so this is just part of how we do it to keep especially the small towns viable, but this could be large corporations as well involved. Oh, absolutely. ESOPs play a big part of this as well. So we can help all spectrums. It just depends on what the needs are of that particular business. Stacy Mullinax, one of the program managers at Advance Iowa. The Employee Ownership Workshop in Newton is Thursday, May 11. For more information or to register, go to AdvanceIowa.com. We connected via Zoom on Wednesday, April 19. And as you know, Advance Iowa is the presenting sponsor of the Iowa Business Report. Still to come, preserving viability for ethanol. And later, we'll drop the checkered flag on Iowa Racing, which is a popular attraction in many communities in the state. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Hello, fellow Iowans. This is Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Our March-April issue kicks off our series about Grenville Dodge, the architect of the Iron Road, and includes stories about the Effigy Mounds National Monument, Iowa State Hockey, Traveling Iowa, and Bailing Hay, among others. Pick up the March-April issue of Iowa History Journal at Hy-Vee, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and Select Mills Fleet Farm stores, or visit iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review their latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. The U.S. House took action this past week on a bill that would increase the national debt ceiling, but included several cost-saving measures. For a time, subsidies for production of ethanol were on the chopping block, but Iowa's four-member House delegation preserved those funds. Iowa 4th District Congressman Randy Feenstra told me about the negotiations when we talked by phone late Thursday afternoon. When we started slashing and reducing the debt, it was included all the tax credits for ethanol and biodiesel, and it was just devastated our whole industry. 
And now think about it. Our state is the largest ethanol and biodiesel producer. My district is, is the largest district in the country that produces more ethanol and biodiesel. We have 42 ethanol plants, 12 biodiesel plants. It's our economic engine. Virtually every other row goes to corn or soybeans for ethanol and biodiesel. Right away, the delegation and myself said, wait a minute, Speaker, this is not going to happen. All right, We are going to protect our economy in Iowa. And we had a lot of late-night discussions about this, saying we've got to take out these credits uh, that ethanol and biodiesel are getting to, to compete with petroleum. And by the way, petroleum gets credits also. So I just simply said, if you want this fair, I'm all about fair, I'm all about capitalism, then let's get rid of all the petroleum tax credits also. Let's create a level playing field. Well, obviously, they didn't want to do that. So I said, all right, so let's be fair. Let's make sure that, that we keep the ethanol and biodiesel. And, and uh, you know, it came a game of chicken a little bit. And, and finally, uh, leadership said, all right, we understand. And, and, and they pulled out the provisions. Our whole economy, our whole farming economy rests on ethanol and biodiesel and making sure that they're successful. And, and that's what I will never let my farming community down. That's why I'm in Congress. Coming up. We'll start our engines and cross the finish line with this week's business profile. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Hello, this is Mike Chapman. I've had a wonderful life and career, from growing up in Waterloo to being a newspaper man for 35 years, writing 30 books, and being inducted into 11 Halls of Fame. I'm proud to share my story in my latest book, A Journey, Reflections on 50 Years of Writing, Wrestling, Weightlifting, and Heroes. It's available now at totallyiowa.com. My life, telling other people's stories, people you'll know from Ronald Reagan to Muhammad Ali to Dan Gable, all in a journey. Get your copy today at totallyiowa.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at advanceiowa.com. Folks in central Iowa are well acquainted with Lou Seipel, who has been a fixture on Des Moines radio and television for decades. He now hosts Iowa Live each weekday morning at 1145 on Local 5 WOI-TV. But what many may not know is that Lou Seipold is the owner of a team participating in the Dirt Truck Racing Association Series, fielding two separate trucks with championship results. And as I learned when we connected via Zoom on Wednesday, April 26, Lou is no stranger when it comes to motorsports. We're part of the Carl Chevrolet Dirt Truck Series. This is an organization that's been around for more than 20 years. We're in our 20th full season of competition in 2023. The Dirt Truck Racing Association is a series of vehicles, utilizes vehicles on a GM metric-based chassis using GM 604 or 602 crate engines, which kind of levels the playing field for everybody, which is really cool. It's just really super competitive. It's a tight-knit organization, and we got involved with this a long time ago, and we just have been very thoroughly engrossed in this, and it's become part of our lifestyle. And again, you didn't just one day start being interested in racing. I mean, you grew up with this, didn't you? (laughs) My dad was uh, the crew chief for Ford Motor Company stock car division back when I was born, and his driver was a guy by the name of John Rostek. When I was born, he thought it would be cool to build me a go-kart at his race shop, so he did. (laughs) He was in Colorado. I was in Chicago. So he mails a go-kart into me about a year and a couple of weeks later, my brother was born. He didn't think it was fair for me to have a go-kart and my brother not to have one. So he built him one. 
painted his red, mine blue, sent that one over. And we started driving carts when we were about three years old. So while most people were playing baseball and football, we were driving go-karts. And this is back in the early 60s. So it's a long time ago. Well, soon thereafter, there's a guy named Joey Chipwood that caught wind of what we were doing. He's a stunt show person, a thrill show guy, and a friend of one of my dad's buddies. And he came over to watch us drive these go-karts around. And he offered us uh, a gig of driving little miniature Chevy Corvettes called Chevy Juniors in his stunt show when we were probably five, six years old. And we jumped at the chance. My dad jumped at the chance. And so we went around and we did different shows at different fairs around the country, just a little in and out of pylons and things. And then soon after that, a guy by the name of Andy Granatelli from STP saw us. And he goes, hey, let's get you guys in little mini Indy cars. So he built us a couple of little mini Indy cars, one that should shape like a wedge. You got to run McNamara over the years. And we drove these STP-themed go-karts with really cool bodies on them, doing the same type of thing. We graduated up into full-size cars by the time we were of legal driving age. And we ended up driving MG Midgets at that time. Nobody else had four-speed transmissions. Everybody was automatic. So we drove these four speeds and did our stunts and reverse spins and end up driving on two wheels. And that was the big thing back in the in the 70s, the mid-70s, late 70s, was driving a car on two wheels. And we had an ongoing battle with Joey Chitwood Jr. as to who could drive farther on two wheels. Joey Jr. would have it for a while, and then I would break it. He would go two and a half miles, then I would go two and three quarter miles, and then he went a little farther, and we end up going around and, and having a show in Pocono, Pennsylvania at the Pocono International Raceway, and I did three laps around Pocono's racetrack, which is seven and a half miles. And that record, I was in high school when that happened. So you take the car, you drive it up on its left two wheels. And uh, that stood for many, many, many years. And so we were entrenched in the motorsports world with that and uh, end up going to college. Wanted to be a veterinarian. That's the reason uh, I went to school is pointing in that direction. Uh, radio and media took us uh, you know, beyond that. But we were still always interested in motorsports. And had a chance to race in the Royal Greater Des Moines Grand Prix in Des Moines when it was here. First time out, we finished third. Second time out, we lucked out and we won. And then third time out, we finished second. So we had a halfway decent run there. Never really raced before. We did the stunt driving. Right. And then these dirt trucks came around. And I was approached to race one of these dirt trucks many years ago with the creator of them. It was fun. It was fun. It was budget friendly when it comes to racing, which was so very important. And that's one thing I promised my dad when I first got into this. He says, don't go bankrupt trying to race. You know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, don't spend all your money racing. If you're going to do this, go out and promote yourself and promote others and use that to do your racing. And that's what we've done. And that's what we've prided ourselves on for many, many years is we found the right people in the right places and we kept our budgets intact. We stuck to them. We're having fun. And again, more than 20 years later, it's still going strong. And you've got a great operation there with your shop and the trailer with all the sponsors. I mean, this is big time stuff. Where do you race around the state? Where are the tracks at? We are at a bunch of different tracks, including Knoxville Raceway. These are all dirt tracks. Again, it's the Carl Chevrolet Dirt Truck 
Series, so Knoxville Raceway, Stewart International Speedway, Hamilton County Speedway in Webster City, Marshalltown Speedway. We were just there a couple of weeks ago, and our number nine truck with the two-time back-to-back champion Jeff Johnson won the first race out of the box. The 2014 ARCA Menard Series champion is driving for us now. His name is Mason Mitchell. He was in his first race of the year. He ended up getting a flat tire at the beginning of the race. And our crew guys, with uh, Jay Street and Mitchell Stout and Ryan Baker, they got his tire changed during the caution. They got him back on the track. And he ended up finishing sixth overall after having that uh, little altercation. So that is cool. So, uh, again, Marshalltown, put that on the checklist. That is one of our favorite places. Boone Speedway is coming up in a couple of weeks. Shelby County Speedway in Harlan. Sports Park Raceway in Fort Dodge, which a couple of weeks from now, a very special nostalgia. Algia Dirt Series is going to be there. We're going to be there with them, which is really cool. And then also the Crawford County Speedway in Denison. So a bunch of tracks around the state. And it's really a whole lot of fun. And you're really going to have a good time. And so many people can relate to the trucks because there are more trucks parked in driveways than I think anything else in the state of Iowa. And the thing that I find interesting as you list those different speedways, they're in a variety of sized communities, some larger, some smaller But on a Friday or a Saturday night, whenever the race is, that's the big thing in the town. This is a huge economic driver for those communities to host the races and having a thriving speedway. Even a Wednesday night ones, the Stewart Speedways are on Wednesday nights. You're saying, how can that work? But it does because the community embraces it per capita. I believe Iowa is the first or second most populous state for having racetracks and people which is really important and really impressive. And it just shows you how the popularity of motorsports. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day is that motorsports popularity now is growing. And there's a bunch of different factors with it. It's other organizations that have their motorsports. It's, you know, series you see on streaming services that have increased the interest in motorsports. But motorsports has always been a diehard favorite of people in the USA, and especially right here in the heartland in Iowa, too. Iowa has its roots buried in racing. Lou Seipold of Lou Seipold Racing, which fields two teams in the Iowa Dirt Truck Racing Association schedule. You can learn more and check out the race schedule for events in your area at dirttruckseries.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to TotallyIowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.